Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. You are now tuned to the sounds of MaximumFM.ca. It is your man, DM Cool. And welcome to Cool Radio. What we doing? You can catch me on your TV, even on the radio. My mama la boss, but I can't know your way go. We in beta airwaves. Why them haters mad? Ain't no stopping us. Ain't no topping us. They be watching us. We so prosperous. Ain't no stopping us. Ain't no topping us. They be watching us. We so prosperous. Oh, you didn't know? Your ass better call somebody. Indeed, indeed. Tell a friend to tell a friend that we're live on the airways because... <clears throat> Pardon me. We have a lot to get to on tonight's show, man. I'll be holding down the solo dolo tip. Um, but nonetheless, we do have a lot to get to, man. The main portion of the show I want to get to is going to be about the R. Kelly song that just dropped this week entitled I Admit. And we're going to discuss as to whether or not he was burying his soul on the record or if it was just more of a humble brag, basically. So I'll get into more of that. Also, beyond that R. Kelly topic, man, we got to get into Drake delaying his uh, OVO fest. Uh, we also got to get into a few of the uh, shootings that have happened in Toronto that I kind of want to dive into a little bit and talk about some of the minutiae behind that. Also want to talk about Le- Demi Lovato as well. You know, someone I haven't really talked about on my show at all, but I just kind of want to bring that full circle as well. And we got to talk about Charlamagne and the God as well. But before we get into all those topics, man, you guys already know what I like to do at the beginning of the show. Now, normally I like to let that ish breathe by getting stuff off of my chest. But this time around, it's going to be a little bit different. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Uh, because there's a lot of, you know, gossip, gossip. Uh, within this particular subject that I want to touch upon right now. So I think right now it's time to uh, spill the tea, so to speak. I thought that was necessary. Um, So what I mean by spilling the tea is this, man. We got to talk about the continued fallout that's happening with this DeMar DeRozan-Kawhi Leonard deal, all right? So it's been a week. We've all processed it. We've all come to terms with, you know, the departure of DeMar DeRozan and the arrival of Kawhi Leonard with this half smile. Hopefully, he'll turn into a full smile, either because he loves the city or he's going to be securing the bag come next summer. Either way, can't really control anything. Um, But what I want to talk about specifically is the fact that both of these players are still showing disdain for their former contemporaries. And what I mean is this. Let's start start off with Kawhi Leonard first. So as we all know, or as basketball fans know, I should say, uh, USA Basketball started their training camp uh, a couple days ago, actually. So they invited all of their prospects. So the usual names that you would hear in in, in terms of, like, all-star talents and what have you. Not all of them, just, like, the majority of them. Like, we don't see LeBron there, for example, or Steph Curry. Um, but I'm sure more and more will be invited to the camp. But nonetheless, Kawhi Leonard was one of those names that was invited to the camp, and he was actually planning on attending, but then he pulled out last minute and said that he will not be attending the camp. Now, this is significant because of the fact that Greg Popovich, the current coach of the San Antonio Spurs, the former coach of Kawhi Leonard, is the one running the team. He's the one coaching the team, and he is one of the – principal members of Team USA Basketball. So, suffice to say, 
still waters run deep. All right. <laughs> so that's one thing. So that's a that's a little bit of a tea sipper right there. Now here's where the tea really gets spilled. All right. So and we'll go back to USA basketball in a second. Now when it comes to Demar Derozan on the flip side, every year Demar Derozan, Kyle Lowry, and a few other players in the NBA, uh, some high some high level talent, some mid level talent. Uh, half of them of immediate African descent usually participate in the NBA Africa game that takes place during the summer, which is always uh, ran and organized by Masai Ujiri. And DeMar DeRozan was on tap to be one of those players to participate in that friendly game. Now, based on what's happened throughout the last week, DeMar himself has decided to pull out of that competition as well. You know, as well, and what I mean as well, I mean him pulling out of competition as well as Kawhi pulling out of his engagement. But I'm sure you guys already got that. Um, But, yeah, he has decided to pull out, and we all know the reason why he decided to pull out, which brings us to Team USA Basketball once again. Uh, He was being interviewed by a whole bunch of reporters from TSN, Sportsnet, ESPN, you name it, about the relationship with him and Masai and where it stands right now. And in DeMar DeRozan's words, he says, done. He literally says, done. Any relationship that he has with Masai Ujiri is done. Any future plans of reconciling with him, whatever the case may be, is done. And I can't blame DeMar DeRozan for feeling this way because in his mind, in his reality, he was betrayed. He felt as though Masai Ujiri was being disloyal to him, was being dishonest to him in regards to what was going to happen with the team. And in the sit-down interview with Chris Haynes of ESPN, he said, and I'm paraphrasing, mind you, that had Messiah told him what was going on or what they are planning to do, or if they had an idea of what they're going to do, then that is all that he needed, basically. I'm sure he still would have been upset with the fact that he can no longer plan on retiring as a Toronto Raptor or just by staying with that team his entire career, building his legacy over there. But in my mind, I feel as though at least he would have been prepared for what would be about to happen, and he would mentally you know, prepare himself going forward. But again, and according to his words, he was told one thing, basically saying that we have no plans of trading you, but then lo and behold, they trade him. So I can't, I can't fault him for feeling mad about what transpired. And then going to Masai Ujiri, in my job, kind of <laughs> playing devil's advocate at this point, you know, Masai Ujiri is a businessman and what have you, and we don't know exactly what he said. Um, and in his press conference, he said that, you know, words were misconstrued. Um, things got caught up in the mix and the shuffle, so to speak. And he seems very apologetic, you know, during that press conference interview, addressing the DeMar DeRozan trade and his comments on social media shortly thereafter. And, you know, it's hard for him aside because he is a businessman and he has to do what's best for the team. At the same time, you know, he has to do what's best for himself as well because it's his job that's on the line too because he was brought on by MLSC to build a winner, so to speak. And even though they have had five successful seasons of going to the playoffs, being in a top-four seed at the very least in the Eastern Conference standings and then advancing, you know, round after round after round but always hitting that roadblock that is LeBron James, I'm sure MLSC wanted more of him. So what does he do? He has to you know, pull out the ratchet and let it fly because you can't get anywhere uh, if you're continuously running to that same spot over and over again, expecting a different result. Now, the flip side to that is that roadblock was LeBron James. He's now out of the Eastern Conference, and many people will say, 
well, now that LeBron, not, now that LeBron's out and you guys got a new coach, which means a new voice, you know, how about running it back now? Like, let's see what you guys can really do. But I guess Masai saw an opportunity to get a top five player in the league when healthy, and that's always been the asterisk around Kawhi Leonard for the past week when healthy. And now they have an opportunity to definitively be the best team in the East, not arguably, but definitively be that if they're able to get past Boston, for example. So now Masai has kind of put himself into a corner, and I think he realizes that where it's championship or bust. Maybe not so much championship or bust, but more so at least championship appearance or bust because we haven't seen anyone who poses a credible threat to the Golden State Warriors, if any. I mean, Houston kind of gave them a run for its money, but Houston, but Golden State turned it on once again. Um, so I think if the Raptors are able to make it to the finals this year, I think Masai's job is, is safe. I think that's safe to say, even if Kawhi decides to bounce. But then again, we don't know what the higher-ups are thinking because at the end of the day, he's not in control of his own destiny like any other player isn't in control of their own destiny. You know, mind your free agency, but you already know what I mean. Um, at the end of the day, man, it's still going to be tough to process for a lot of fans, uh, for people who are really connected to, to DeMar because of the fact that he did stay when he could have left. And Toronto in terms of basketball, in terms of the Raptors franchise, has never known that before. They've never had a moment where they drafted a player, they built him up, watched him blossom into an all-star talent, and then have him stay. DeMar is the first and only player in Raptors history to ever have done that. And that's a feeling that they don't know. And so he wants to be the first one to break that mold, which he did. But then, lo and behold, he gets traded. And going forward, I hope he uses this as fuel, as motivation. And he did say he would. And I'll be curious to see what he's capable of doing under a Popovich system. Will he become a better defender? Will he be more open to shooting three-pointers, as he was last year? Um, will, he do, will he just unlock himself and just let himself unleash into a phenomenal talent that we haven't seen before. I mean, he's still in his prime right now. There's still room to grow. He's been growing as a player for his entire career up until this point. So who's to say that he can't take it up another notch, especially under a great coach like Greg Popovich, which I hope he does because he deserves it. Like, he's he's someone who works hard. He was never touted to be, like, this amazing prospect, but he turned himself and built himself into an all-star. He bet on himself. He did it himself. So I wish him nothing but the best. And, again, I'll say it again. When he comes back to the Scotiabank Arena, as it's now called, I hope he drops 50 on us because he deserves that retribution. Either way, do you guys agree? Do you guys disagree? Let me know. Hit me up with your comments on social media, on all platforms, at Cool Radio CC. And when we come back from the commercial break, we have our main topic of the evening, which is R. Kelly and his latest record entitled, I Admit. Was it a... Bear all confessional or was it humble bragging? We'll get into it right after these messages. This is Cool Radio. Yeah. Cool. Yes, yes, yo. Welcome back to the show. Once again, it's your man, DM Cool. And welcome back to Cool Radio. <clears throat> that was my man, Audrey Rose, entitled Over Everything. And you know what? Some of, this, uh, some of the lyrics to his song ring true in the case of DeMar DeRozan, man. Loyalty over everything, man. That is the theme of DeMar's, you know, argument against Masai Ujiri. So, hey, man, art imitates life. Now, let's get into the main topic of the evening, all right? Let us talk about this 
obnoxiously long 19-minute song <clears throat> that R. Kelly has released this past week, which is entitled I Admit. Now, when we all heard the title of this record, we all thought that R. Kelly was going to drop gems and bombshells, woes bombs, whatever you want to call it, on this record, talking about a litany of things that we've been wanting to hear from him for Lord knows how long. When it comes to the the harem allegations, the peeing on the girl allegations, everything, all right? Now, let me break down... Let me break down exactly what this man said in the record. All right? I'm not going to break down, break it down lyric for lyric, but just the main themes that this man discussed in the song, all right? So this guy basically, well, first of all, let's just get into why he created the song. In his words, and I'm paraphrasing, mind you, he said how the media is always misconstruing all of his statements and what he's trying to say. Therefore, he decided to bear it all off on record, basically, in a song. So that, that was his reason behind making the song 19 minutes long, because it was him venting. All right? So those are his words. Take it for what it is. Now, he has talked about a whole bunch of things in this record, all right? Or has, in his words, admitted to in his record. So let's talk about all the things that he's admitted to on this song. He admits to having sex with some of his fans, so groupies, basically, all right? And he has also admitted that he can't trust some people in the industry. I mean, he's not the first to admit that many artists within multiple genres have talked about that in hip-hop especially so let's scratch that off the list uh he says that he's also admitted to being illiterate now mind you i didn't know that one that one was a little bit of a shock to me so i'll give him that um and then which i find very ironic because i he writes a lot of his own material so how does he not know what he's writing anyways i'll, I'll leave that alone um and he is also admitted to having his virginity taken at a young age by an older woman, which is something that we already know. And I'll get to that already know portion of the segment later on during this dissertation. Let's continue on, shall we? So he has also admitted that he doesn't own the masters and the publishing to his music. Mind you, plenty of artists don't. Um, not until later on when their careers have long gone and passed, but for the most part, majority of artists don't own their masters in publishing because they have some janky-ass contracts. And he has said that because of that, he still goes on tour because that's how he survives, that's how he pays rent. Not going to knock any man or woman for how they get their money, you know, as far as like what they got to do in order to survive to pay rent or their mortgage, whatever. You do what you got to do. If it's nefarious, mm, I'm going to have to push it to the side a little bit, but... As an artist who starts a tour to make ends meet, I'm not going to knock that. I'm not going to knock that. Um, so let's continue on, shall we? So not only that, but this is where things kind of get a little funny. And I say funny loosely because he also mentions the whole sex tape allegations. But he says very little about it because his lawyers told him to hush. And he literally said a statement of that magnitude. He literally said, I can mention the sex tapes, but I'm not going to because the lawyer said hush. 
So he mentioned, he literally mentioned the sex tape, but he didn't go in depth with the sex tape, which is one of the things that a lot of people wanted to tune into when they first heard about this record, all right? And then the other thing that people wanted to hear about when this record was mentioned was the harem, the, the stable they had, the alleged harem, where he was bringing a whole bunch of 15 to 16-year-old girls into his house to be his sex slaves. And in this one, in this particular lyric, I don't have the exact lyric on me, but when he mentioned that and how he had a sex cult, he said in one of the lyrics, and I quote, define a cult. And then he proceeded to mention Hugh Hefner and the double standard, etc., etc. And then near the end of the record, he bizarrely said that he has been a patriot, that he admits that he has been the patriot for 31 years and has, a, and has represented America for that long. And I don't know why he said that at the end of the song. I just found that random. All in all, what this comes down to is this record was nothing more than somewhat of a narcissistic humble brag. All right. And a humble brag is when you pat yourself on the back for things that you're supposed to do, essentially. Like, things that you shouldn't really be bragging over people's heads over. Like, if I were to brag to somebody and say, hey, I know how to cook. I can cook. You know, I've been doing this and this and that. I know how to cook and everything. Like, if you're a professional chef, then okay, that's one thing. But if you know how to cook just as a way to maintain your own sustenance, then that's nothing to be bragging about because that's something that you're supposed to do. You know what I mean? And that brings me back to that old Chris Rock's stand-up bit where he had, you know, niggas always want to credit for shit that they're supposed to do. I take care of my kids. Nigga, you're supposed to take care of your kids. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's, he's bragging about stuff that either you're supposed to do or that we already know about. So him, for example, going on tour and making money off of tours because that's how he makes his money. That's how he puts the roof over his head. I mean, I did say earlier that I'm not going to shame nobody for, you know, making the money in a certain way or what have you. And I'm not shaming him when I, uh, for, with, with what I'm about to say. But basically, you saying that, you know, you're going on tour to support your, your home and, like, where you live. I mean, that's what everyone does on a regular basis. No matter how, extrav how, how extravagant or how average their job may be, the, one of the purposes of the job is for financial sustenance. You work a job so that you can put a roof over your head, put food on your table, et cetera, et cetera. So you're supposed to be doing that anyway. Now, I can understand in the context of his situation, because he's a multi-platinum artist who has sold millions and millions of records, I can understand that you were probably under the impression that you're supposed to be living off of residual income based on the amount of plays that you've gotten and the amount of streams that you've gotten over your records over the last decade or past two decades or so. So that I can understand because there are other artists out there who don't need to tour to make money. Like, they're doing other things outside the music. Jay-Z doesn't need a tour again. He just does it for the love of it. Of course, he's getting the payola. But he has his money and his hands in so many different business ventures that he doesn't have to rely on the music anymore. He can afford to not release another album for another five years. Same thing with Nas. That's the reason why there was such a huge gap in time between Life is Good up until the Nasir project. So I guess with R. Kelly, he's not in that same space because... The only thing he can rely upon is his music. He didn't really dive into other business ventures that were a huge success. And I guess that kind of goes back into the line about him being illiterate because clearly 
he didn't read the fine print in his contracts, which is why he doesn't own his own his masters or his publishing, which is a huge no-no, especially when you are an artist of R. Kelly's caliber who has been in the game for 20-plus years. Like, that's a huge error on his part and whatever legal representation that he had at the time. Hopefully it's not like another LeVar Ball situation because that would be terrible. Now, let's go into the lines about, you know, having sex with your fans. How many artists have had sex with their fans, male and female? Like, they're called groupies, okay? Like, every big-time artist, even not even big-time, even, like, even local artists will have sex with people who come with, who come to their 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 performances and, and what have you. I mean, that's nothing to admit to. Like, plenty of artists, artists have done that like that is all that is what groupie culture is all about like you go out you go out to the show you want to get close you want to be able to get backstage whatever the case may be and then when you finally do you want to drop them draws that way you can brag to people hey i i had sex with r kelly whatever you know what i mean so him admitting to that is not really an omission like that's Regular things that a lot of artists tend to do when they're out on the road. So I don't see how that's something that you can admit to when we already knew what was going on. If there was anything to admit to, it would have been the harem situation, the you peeing on a girl situation, and most importantly, arguably, the Aaliyah situation. Like, what happened with Aaliyah? Did you guys ever have intercourse? Did you guys really try to get married, even though that shit got annulled? Like, what happened? Like, how deep was it between you and Aaliyah? You know what I mean? I mean, you were on the back of her album cover that um, on her first album, which was entitled AJ Nothing But a Number. And, pff, man, if, if there's anything to admit to, it would have been those things. But, of course, you and your record said, my lawyer said, hush. So if your lawyer said, hush... Then why are you making a 19-long-minute record basically stating, I admit it? You're not admitting to anything. So this would have easily been Wankster of the Week fodder. And now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like I should have made it Wankster of the Week fodder. But I have something else in mind for that. Um, Yeah, like I said at the beginning of the segment, man, I mean, I asked the question, is this him bearing his heart and his soul? Or is this a humble brag? This is a humble brag, without question. Like there is nothing to admit to. Like you, all these things that you have mentioned, you have, we basically already knew. Like half the stuff you've already talked about before, and then the other half, it's like okay, like what makes you so different than any other artist that's done this before? Why should we feel sympathy in your scenario at this point? At this point in time, Mr. Robert Kelly, why should we feel sorry for you? It's hard for me to feel sorry for a person who's admitting to having sex with his fans or for someone saying that they've represented America for 31 years or for anyone who refuses to go in depth about the whole harem scenario because your lawyer said hush. I'm sorry, man. Like This, this was one big giant troll job for himself to be relevant for the week. That's all it was. That's all That's all it comes down to at the end of the day. He did it for no other reason but to remain relevant. Because beyond that, were we really talking about R. Kelly beforehand, like before this week even started? No, we weren't talking about him at all. The last time we talked about him was about the whole harem situation. And even then, that was a few months back. So that had been pretty quiet. That had been pretty dull. But now he's just reopening conversation about it because why? 
like none of this makes sense. There's no rhyme or reason to it. So unless there's something that's going to be following up after this, then again, I don't see why he made this record. It does not make sense to me in the slightest bit at all. I don't know, man. Like there's something wrong with that guy. Like there is something wrong with that guy. Uh, we've all known it. I mean, hell, like he has an infinity for teenage girls. There was even alleged stories where he would park his car outside of public high schools and wait for the, the, the 14, 15 year old girls to come out. I mean, that is beyond creepy. I mean, it goes without saying that that is creepy. And if that's in fact true, which I wouldn't be surprised if it were true based on all the allegations that he's accumulated over how like two and a half decades now that he's a creepy bastard. And yes, like he admits to not even admits, but he he basically exposes once again that he was molested as as a young child, well, not as a child, but me as a teenager by an older woman. And I'm not saying that he should be bragging about that because molestation is molestation at the end of the day, whether it's man on woman or woman on man. But I feel like he said that in this record to excuse the consistent behavioral patterns that he's had when it comes to his attraction in younger females, basically. Almost as if to say, I'm into 14-year-old girls because of the fact that I got molested when I was 14. That doesn't make it right, bro. That does not make it right at all. Like you can't be passing on the the hatred and the the filth and the disgust that you had to endure. The whole point is to learn from it and to learn what not to become. And I feel like he failed that and now, you know, throughout his entire life up until this point, he has been using that as a crutch or as some enabling tool to allow himself to engage in what seems to be like borderline pedophilia at this point. So at the end of the day, wrapping this topic up, this track is nothing more than a humble brag. It shouldn't be called I admit. It should be called I'm bored. That's basically what it should be called at this point because we already knew all the things that he talked about on this record and there was no new developments. And basically the things that we wanted to hear him go more in depth on he basically just teased it and used it as a palate cleanser. Other than that, we already knew these things. We already know that your lawyers told you not to say a word. Obviously, it's common sense. But hey, what do you guys think? Do you guys think that he exposed a lot on this record? Or do you guys agree with me in stating that this is more of a humble brag record and that he was bored? Either way, let me know on all social media platforms where you can find Cool Radio CC and share your thoughts after the commercial break man we got a trip talk to get to a lot of controversial topics or more so ideas i want to pass on to you guys and let me uh let you guys know what's really happening and i want to know from you guys if you agree with me or not on the following things that i'm going to discuss either way we will be right back this is cool radio we'll be right back after these messages yeah Yes, yes, y'all. Welcome back to the show. <clears throat> Once again, it's your man, DM Cool. And welcome back to Cool Radio. Uh, let's get into Trip Talk right now, all right? So three of the hottest topics that happen within pop culture, as we all know it. Let's get to it. So first thing I want to get to is this, man. Um, this has to do with Drake, all right? So as we all know, around this time, like early August, late July, we're gearing up for OVO Fest. Now, apparently this year, uh, Drake is pushing the dates back on OVO Fest. Not only is he 
pushing the dates back, but he's also moving the performance dates to weekdays. So normally OVO Fest would take place on Saturday or sorry, on Sunday and Monday, which is a civic holiday. But this time around, they've pushed it to a week ahead. And uh, they'll go, they're going to be doing it on the Monday and the Tuesday and the Wednesday, rather. And so for the people who bought their tickets in advance, it kind of puts somewhat of a strain on their plans. Because I'm sure people book certain days off in advance so that they can attend the, the, uh, the concert. And now they're going to have to kind of restructure their calendars because for all they know, they could be working on that day. And now they got to maneuver and flex through it so that they can actually go on those dates they've already paid their money and their tickets so they're gonna still be valid but at the same time now they gotta kind of restructure what their plans are gonna look like going forward so i found that to be interesting and a lot of people are speculating that he changed the dates on his performances in lieu of the gun violence that's happened in the city recently all right um and as we all know, when it comes to Carabana times, and it's kind of sad to say this at the same time as well, but normally when it comes to Carabana times, a lot of mischief happens to take place. Now, it can be something as small as somebody letting a gunshot in the air and nobody gets you know, hurt from it. But at the same time, there's always something violent that happens around that weekend. Now, it could be somebody you know, getting assaulted or worst case scenario, it could lead into a fatality. I remember... Back in 2015, Caravan a Weekend, there was a litany of fatalities that happened. Um, there was the incident where there was a club that Drake was at, apparently. I'm not sure if he was hosting the party. Like, the party was thrown, under, thrown within his name, or so to speak, if he had anything to do with the organizing of it. But I, I do remember that there were some people who were shot and assaulted, physically assaulted, at that party. As well as just another litany of other scenarios that, that took place that night as well. You know, including the, the death of... Uh, Mississauga rapper Redway uh, in that horrific car accident. And there was also the death of a CBC correspondent as well during that weekend. And it was just a weird twist of events that weekend. Like 2015 had some sort of omen on it. That was just weird. But anyways, the point is this. When it comes to Caribbean weekend, there's always something that happens. And we haven't even gotten to that weekend yet. We've seen like a litany of you know, gun violence situations within the city. And I think because of that, I think, you know, Drake and his team and the promoters who have everything to do with uh, headlining the OVO festival or, or organizing it rather, they want to take their necessary precautions to prevent any type of wrongdoing that, that could happen. And there's no way to, you know, forecast that because we're not, we're not clairvoyant. We're like, we don't know that's going to happen, but based on what's happened in past years and what's happening, happened within past weeks, especially, there's a good chance that it could happen. We don't know that for a fact, but let's not leave that up to chance. So I think they're just taking the necessary precautions. And even though it does put a damper on certain people's plans as far as what they have coming up for the next week and what have you, I think it's a necessary plan. They're not saying the show's canceled. They're just saying they're going to move it to a few dates up ahead. So I can't be mad at that. And I guess it's easier for me not to be mad at that because I'm not going to be attending the events at all, but I can understand why people would be upset by that. But either way, what do you guys think? Is Drake taking the necessary precaution to that? Um, do you agree? Do you disagree? Either way, let me know. Hit me up on social media at Cool Radio CC. Now, speaking of gun violence, that leads me to the next topic within Trip Talk, which is the new bill that was passed by uh, Toronto Congress uh, this past week, which basically states that uh, they will be banning the selling of any firearms going forward and that they're going to uh, enforce strict penalties if that is to happen. So, 
on one end, I do agree that this should be a necessary precaution that should be taking place or taken to effect because of all the gun violence that's been happening within the city in, in the last uh, few months as recently. You know, a lot of a lot of shootings have been taking place, whether it's the Jane Finch community, whether it's the Scarborough community. I mean, there are shootings in Kensington Market, for goodness sake. Like, that's the most hipsterish place that's in Toronto. Like, you would never associate Kensington Market and shootings like they don't go together you know what i mean they just don't go together and then the latest incident was the incident that happened in uh in greek town danforth specifically so a lot of these people in toronto who are working in congress are wanting to are wanting to take the next necessary steps in preventing any type of gun violence gun violence happening going forward uh what they're most likely going to do they're probably going to raid all like the the drug spots or crack houses and for any type of like um, nefarious activity that may be happening within those areas, clean it up, do an entire raid. Just, that way they can get all these weapons and firearms off of the streets. Now, here's where I'm going to lean on the other side for a second. Not in favor of having guns or anything like that. No, never that. Um, the motivation behind, you know, this quick and, and swift um, tour de force, so to speak. I believe that Toronto Congress is only doing this because of the amount of students that have taken place in majority Caucasian areas. All right. I'm going to be straight up. I'm going to shoot from the hip on this one. Pardon the bad pun. Um, I feel like if this was still continuing within the Gina Finch community, within the, the Rexdale community, Scarborough, Grand Avenue, you name it, like any of these communities that have majority black people or majority people of color, then there wouldn't be such a rush and such urgency to clean up these, to clean up this gun situation. That's what I personally believe, because this reminds me of, I think it was 2006. Well, first of all, in 2005, there was a lot of, you know, gun activity that was taking place in Toronto. And then it kind of capped off in the winter of 2006 when a young girl, a young Caucasian girl caught a stray bullet during a shootout. And at that point, that's when Congress got like all any and every police officer working for uh, the, the Toronto district and basically raided all these places that were, you know, gang infested and had a lot of gang activity and what have you. So I feel like because now that we see you see a lot, a, a large influx of a lot of, you know, white people catching a crossfire that they're taking this, this stance. Now, my thing is this. You should take the stance regardless of who's getting shot. If there's a lot of white people getting shot, take the stance. If it's a lot of black people getting shot, take the stance. If it's a lot of Asian people getting shot, take the stance, etc., etc. Because if we live in a society where all lives matter, then we should value all lives equally if that's the case. It shouldn't be a matter of, oh, if it's a black people, let them shoot themselves, let them shoot themselves to death. It's black on black crime. But if it's the white people, no, we gotta save them. No, like everybody should be encompassed in this tour de force when it comes to taking the guns off the streets. It can't be a scenario where we're only gonna value one group of people because because you know you can list a whole litany of reasons as to why you want to value one group of people. But if you choose to have the opposite stance for another group of people, then that's just blatant racism right there. So I feel like this is only happening because it's, the shootings are happening in areas that you where you would see mostly white people with a few people of color sprinkled in between, but mostly white people nonetheless. So I think that's the wrong approach to take. I do like the fact that they are taking a stance to clean these guns off the streets, but I don't like their 
alleged motives behind it. I don't know this for a fact, obviously. This is me speculating. But the proof is in the pudding. You know, if you have to use deductive reasoning, then look no further. They often say that history has a chance of repeating itself, or has a way of repeating itself, rather. And based on the story that I just gave to you guys that happened in 2006, what's transpiring right now, you can obviously see the correlation between the two. So that's my stance on it. I feel like if you're going to serve justice and let it be equal justice, it shouldn't just be justice for one group of people. It should be justice for all groups of people because Toronto encompasses a large conglomerate of different races, ethnicities, uh, religious backgrounds, etc. We're probably the most multicultural city in the world, if not one of the most. I would put us top five, and that could just be my own bias speaking for myself. So many diasporas that make up what Toronto really envisions and what it encompasses. So in order to protect that, you have to protect all of its inhabitants and its residents, not just one group of people. So that's where I stand on that. But what do you guys think? Do you guys agree with me? Do you disagree? Either way, hit me up on social media on all platforms, at Cool Radio CC, and share your thoughts. And final topic I want to get into for Trip Talk, we got to get into Demi Lovato, all right? Now, with Demi Lovato, this is an interesting one because when it comes to her, I haven't really played her music. I haven't talked about her at all on my show before, but I found this interesting. So with that said, she uh, succumbed to an overdose of opioids, all right? And so a lot of people are, are lending their support to her, giving her well wishes, thoughts and prayers, et cetera, et cetera, you name it. All right. Now, beforehand, the, the, the original headline was that she went through a heroin overdose. And that threw me off guard because heroin, that's, that's a serious drug. Like heroin, that's crazy. Like anything you got to eject into to give yourself some sort of euphoria, that's next level drug usage right there. But then a report later came out that it was actually an overdose of opioids. And I'm like, okay, that makes a little more sense because opioid is one of the main ingredients that's found within heroin. So I get that. That makes sense. Uh, now, with that said, however, like I just mentioned, people have been giving out their well wishes and their, their thoughts and prayers and support and what have you. But, you know, kind of going back to, you know, racial biases once again, I feel as though if this were a black entertainer, who had gone through the exact same scenario, it would be a different story. I mean, look at Whitney Houston, for example. Whitney Houston's one of the greatest singers of all time, regardless of genre. Like, she's one of the greatest. And I'm not saying that because she's passed away. Even if she were alive to this day, I'd still be saying the same thing. Like, there are very few people, like, in the history of arts and entertainment and music that have the voice that she had, all right? But before she died, when her and Bobby Brown were an item, everyone kept on making fun of her, being a crackhead, crack is whack, etc., etc. No one was giving out their support, or not a large people, I should say, were giving out a large modicum of support, thoughts and prayers, well wishes, etc., when she, you know, kind of went on her binges. All right? Even when she died, even when she died, there still were people out there who kind of wanted to put out the jokes about her being a crackhead, et cetera, et cetera. But when it's someone like Amy Winehouse, for example, who was a great singer in her own regard as well, when she died, it was thoughts and prayers. She was the greatest. We lost a great one, guys. And when she was alive, when she was going through her, her crack overdoses, and, well, not overdoses, but her, her binges and what have you, 
I'll say it was actually split. Like there were, I found it even split of people who were either kind of clowning her for being on, you know, an insane amount of drugs or people who are giving their, their well wishes and being she was troubled and misunderstood and what have you. Either way, the point is this. Racial biases exist in our, in our society, and they're privy to whomever is carrying the torch for their particular community. So if this was another artist who was either white or white passing who was going through these you know, trials and tribulations, you know, battling drug addiction and what have you, then they would be held in a much higher regard. We'd have a lot more sympathy for them. But if it's a person of color, especially who is someone who is distinctly a minority, then the first thing to do is to trash them and to make fun of them and to make them into a walking meme and what have you. So either way, my point is this. I'm not a fan of racial biases, obviously, because I am a person of color. Therefore, I don't have the privilege to back out of it. But even if you do have the privilege to back out of it, cough, cough, white people, then you should take a stance and say, hey, like, listen, this person is very talented at what they're doing. And if I, as a white person, am going to give my support to this white artist for some sort of, like, drug-related, you know, issue that they're going through, then I should have the same energy for that person of color who's going through the exact same thing. So that's my stance on it. I really do hope that she does get better, by the way. This is not me trying to trash her or trying to throw her name in the mud or anything like that. I really do hope that she does overcome that overdose um, and anything in between. And again, at the same time, man, people just need to maintain that same level of of empathy for any artist or any public figure in general who's going through that. If you're going to give that same energy to Demi Lovato, then you should give that same energy to someone like a Whitney Houston, for example, if she were still alive, or if it's any other current contemporary right now who doesn't have some sort of like strange past with, you know, the law or whatever, because when that comes into a, into effect, the easy thing to do is to be like, oh, well, he was a gangbanger, he was a criminal, so this is well in his DNA or whatever the case may be. Either way, you should just have that same energy if you're going to give someone your, your love and your thoughts and your prayers and your support and have that same energy for somebody who does not look like you. That's all I'm saying. Call a spade a spade. Make it fair and balanced and equal. That's all I'm saying. Either way, do you agree? Do you disagree? Let me know what your thoughts are. Hit me up with your comments on any of my social media platforms. And now, before we wrap up, you guys already know, man, we got one more segment to get to, man, and that is the one that you've all been waiting for. With that being said, it goes a little something like this. <clears throat> Who has entered the shallow walls of the Hall of Shame this week? Who has been crowned the captain of Coonery this week? Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for the coveted wankster of the week. This week's wankster of the week goes to a woman by the name of Jessica Reed. All right. Now, this is a very... I'm going to say this is a very touchy wankster of the week, all right? And I want you guys to listen in verbatim, word for word, and I want you guys to understand why I'm giving Miss Jessica Reed the wankster of the week. So, for those of you who do not know who Jessica Reed is, she is the accuser of Charlemagne the God in a rape case that was actually uh, opened up, not opened up, but basically introduced Back in the earlier 2000s, okay? Now, I'm not giving her the wanks of the week because she's accusing, you know, 
somebody of of raping her because it did in fact happen. But I'm I'm giving her the wanks of the week because even though it has been proven that Charlemagne was not the individual who sexually assaulted her through DNA, I'm giving her the wanks of the week because despite her knowing this for a fact, she is still trying to pursue a lawsuit against him all in the name of quote unquote clout chasing. All right. Now I'm going to read some of the details, not read some of the details, but basically get, gather some of the details that I gather through in- research and information and what have you. All right. So basically this rape case stems from 2001. This is at the time where Charlemagne was considered to be a minor during this, this point in time. Uh, I can't remember exactly what age he was, but I think he was in his higher teens basically. And basically him and his friends were throwing a party at this time. So, Essentially, what happened was, I think, while he was uh, throwing this party, he was getting uh, alcohol from a third party because, again, he wasn't of age to buy alcohol. So while he was out getting doing an alcohol run, that at that point in time, that is when the sexual assault took place. And it took place with some people who claim to have known Charlemagne. But at this point in time, Charlemagne wasn't a celebrity that he is now, obviously. Um, but basically, when he was being brought into question about what happened, I think one of the people who was involved in the rape case was somebody who was aspiring to go into college for an athletic degree of some sort. Basically, he went to vouch for the individual and said that he wasn't the one. He wasn't the one who did. It. He had nothing to do with it, and how to explain for the alcohol, he got it off of somebody off of the street. And so basically that made him a suspect because he isn't of age to buy alcohol. So long story short, he took a DNA test and the results came out negative and it proved that he had no sexual contact with that woman at all. He didn't even touch her. They weren't even in the same vicinity. So he was scot-free. Like he had nothing to do with the case going forward at that point. So even though that has been proven to be the case now because When it comes to DNA testing of any kind, like forensics in general, there's only a 0.0000000001% chance that the the results could be inaccurate. And at that point, it's damn near perfect, all right? And I think that goes without saying. So this woman, you know, Jessica Reed, she's still pursuing this case because of where Charlemagne is at right now. Charlemagne is probably at the peak of his popularity and his fame and what have you. And I'm not sure what his bank account looks like, but I'm sure he's well fed at this point. So now it's coming to the point where people in his field in media are defending him. One person in particular who goes by the name of Angela Rye, who is a CNN correspondent. All right. That's a very important title to have. So it's not likely that someone with that, name recognition is going to come to bat for somebody who has a shady past who may be unstressed to whether or not these things could be true. But based on the forensic DNA results, it has proven that he did not do it. And this person, Angela Rye, who has known Charlemagne for a long time, went out in public and said, you're not going to make a name off of my boy. And she herself caught flack because, again, we live in a Twitter generation where people are very reactionary to what is being said in the media and do not proceed to look within context of the situation so even though she caught flack for what she said she still stands by what she says nonetheless and it looks like cnn hasn't you know um reprimanded her for those statements and i'm glad they didn't because at the end of the day all she's doing is taking up for her friend who was proven to have nothing to do with that scenario whatsoever so i say this and before i say my final statement i want to say also that a lot of people are getting 
another situation of his confused uh, with a, a time where he said on his podcast that him and another woman has had sexual intercourse, uh, and they both used a an aphrodisiac called Spanish fly, I believe. They both used it. They both consented to using it, and it's basically something to speed up your libido in a sense, and then they mixed it with a bunch of alcohol. They both got blackout drunk in his words, and they had sex, all right? So that's a completely different scenario. That has nothing to do with this scenario right here. So going going back to my original final statement, this Jessica Reed woman, um, I do feel you know, remorse for that she had to go through such a horrific situation, such a sexual assault. But to blame Charlemagne to try to pursue a lawsuit towards him, all for the sake of, you know, earning money out of this, I think it's the wrong approach to take, especially when you know that he passed the forensics results. He has nothing to do with the situation anymore. So if you still want to continue to to, uh, seek justice for what you've gone through, and rightfully so, then feel free to. Like, you have every right to do that but not towards Charlemagne because he's not the one responsible for that event that transpired, what, 17, 18 years ago. It's not his fault. Do not pursue him any further. He has proven that he has nothing to do with that case. He hasn't talked about it in in full detail since then. Let it go. He is not the one you are looking for. That is all I got to say about that. And Charlemagne himself has been very gracious in regards to this entire scenario, has offered his, you know, his... I guess his blessing, well, not his blessings, but his support and, and, you know, women's rights and what have you, and good for him because he needs to. Because some of the things that he does say do get misconstrued a lot, and sometimes it may show that he may lack empathy during these scenarios as well. So good for him for taking some sort of agency on his part as well. But in regards to Mr. Jessica Reed, I'm sorry, but because of your continued attempts to try and drag Charlemagne's name through the mud, I got to give you that wanks of the week. You deserve it. Of course you do. I'm gonna drop it one more time, just like this. And that is our show, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank you guys for tuning in, as you always do. Uh, next week, we may be having a show next week. If we do, I got my man, uh, Everything Oshan, in the studio, along with DJ Express and, and Stasia Daniels as well. Uh, if not, I will give you updates on that. But for now, tentatively, that will be next week's guest lineup. Uh, as always, make sure you hit us up on social media at Cool Radio CC on multiple platforms. And as you already know, Cool Radio is a division of Cool Click Media and Entertainment, reminding you each and every day that we are out here creating our own legacies. Keep it gravy and wavy. We're out of here. Peace. Cool.